0: I think I know what to get you for Christmas, Nicole. We need a new music stand. <laughs> Thank you for leading us in worship. I couldn't help but thinking, help but think, when you were trying to encourage people for worship, that very often we don't understand the importance of worship. We don't understand what worship is all about. The word worship really comes from a root that speaks of worth. We proclaim the worth of God. That's what worship is. And Jesus told us that the Father is seeking worshipers. Do you realize that? He's looking for worshipers. And I want to ask you, are you a worshiper? I don't know. Only you know in your heart. But worship will really do several things. Worship and praise will bless the heart of God. Worship and praise will set you free. The Bible talks about the fact that even warfare is accomplished in worship. Do you realize that? If you're struggling with a problem, battling something in your life, if you really worship the Lord, you will see barriers break down and you will see victory come forth. How many of you know that When you've been in a dark time or you've had a real problem, one of the things you're drawn to do is put on a worship tape. Any of you do that? You put on a worship tape, all of a sudden you get drawn into the presence of God. And you start worshiping Him, praising Him, you bless His heart. One thing God wants from us is to worship Him and to praise Him. Right? And most times, we're not very comfortable doing that. We're almost like the husband who says to his wife, why do you keep telling me to tell you that I love you? I told you that when I asked you to marry me. Well, that may have been 30 years ago. (laughs) Right? When's the last time you really spoke out, not just thought, when's the last time you spoke out unashamedly And said, Lord, I love you. I praise you. I bless you. I give you all the glory. You know, the Bible also tells us that God inhabits the praises of his people. Do you know what that means? It means that he makes his presence known as there's a real spirit of worship. As people worship and praise, something amazing happens. The Spirit of God joins in, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. And you'll see healings, you'll see deliverances, you'll see problems solved. You'll see a tremendous change. So Nicole is trying to encourage people, and I really ask that you truly listen to her. The importance of worship. You know, you may be thinking, well, I love God and I love the Bible and all that. When you come to worship the Lord with the body of Christ, you need to become comfortable raising your hands to Him. You need to become comfortable speaking out, I love you, Lord. I praise you. I bless you. I thank you. That may be foreign to many people. Or many of you may think that's just a characteristic of some of those crazy churches down the block. (laughs) It's biblical. Even the crazy churches down the block may have some good ideas for us to follow. Do <laughs> you see what I mean? So I want to follow up on uh, what Nicole was saying about worship and praise. Again, to summarize that a little bit, and my teaching isn't about worship and praise. <laughs> Regarding worship and praise, God is looking for worshipers. Jesus said the Father is seeking Worshippers. you ever thought, what can you do for God? You can worship Him. That doesn't mean think about it. It means speak it out, talk to Him, praise Him, tell Him He's great. He really likes it, because God's a person. And secondly, if you're going through a difficult time, and I'm going to talk about difficult times tonight, if you're going through a difficult time, put on a worship tape. And join along in the quiet of your own house. Uh, You don't have to worry about other people perhaps watching you. Begin to worship along. Practice. Don't we learn how to love a little bit better as we practice? So practice. Practice loving on God. Praising Him. Blessing Him. Amen? Amen? And remember that when the body of Christ gathers, particularly that God will inhabit or make His presence known in the praises of His people. You wonder sometimes why we don't have a whole lot of Holy Spirit anointing? It's because we're not praising Him. It's not the problem with the Word. It's not the problem with faith. It's a problem with there's no praise and worship. But where God is lifted up and praised with full voice, then His presence will become very known. Maybe you think that's just all emotionalism. It isn't just emotionalism. It's the presence of the Holy Spirit lifting up and making real Jesus Christ in our midst. Amen? Amen. Is that enough? Should we go home? (laughs) That was easy. (laughs) No, actually, tonight I want to talk about handling difficult times. Have any of you ever gone through a difficult time? I don't know this is the most together group of people I've ever met. They never have problems, nothing. If this goes down again, oh this is the wrong one. That's why. That's the one that's broken. Okay. If any of you were there on Sunday, you watched the music stand go down and down and down. Well, anyway. Gonna talk about handling dark valleys, handling difficult times. Gonna pray for a moment because it is very important. That whenever we gather to hear the word of God, that we're prepared. Right? I don't want to teach a nice word. In fact, maybe this, some of this won't be a nice word. I, don't want to, I want to teach a word that God wants to speak to your heart and touch your life. Amen? And that only happens if you're prepared. That means we have to get rid of the distractions, For the next 45 minutes or 40 minutes, we have to concentrate on what God's saying. We have to stay in communication with Him, listen to the Word, and then apply it. Okay? So I'm going to pray here in a moment, but as we do that, I also want to ask you, kind of interesting, to be talking about dark valleys. I want you to keep in prayer a couple whose name is Chris and Rebecca, Chris is the son of a young couple that I was with in the Navy. He's their only son. And uh, he's now a grown man and has four children. But he and his wife minister in Jordan. And they were put in jail last night under the charge of possibly trying to convert Muslims to Christianity. And so that's very serious, right? Right? We sit in our comfortable United States of America and we don't realize that the acts of the apostles are actually continuing to be lived out in our day. So if you can make a mental note about that, pray for Chris and Rebecca, that they'll have favor. Someone's watching their four kids, but they're in jail at least overnight. We don't know what's going to happen, okay? So let's pray now that the Lord will give me what he wants me to share and also that we'll all be open, our hearts will be open. Father, I praise you and I bless you. I give you glory, I give you honor. I thank you for this time we have together. Father, I thank you for Pastor Jeff and Lisa. I thank you, Lord, for what a great gift they are to this area and to this church. I pray, Lord, that they would get a few days off, a little break, enjoy themselves, relax. And Father, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to share with your people. I pray, Lord, that I would just be led by the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that all of our hearts would be open. Lord, take away the distractions. Lord, we praise you and we bless you and we give you all the glory. So we're going to talk about handling dark valleys. And most of us know, I don't have to tell you, that life is a mixture of pain, pleasure, success, failure, mountaintops and valleys, right? Life is a mixture of very, uh, several things. We're not living in heaven yet, and so we do have difficulties here on this earth. However, even when we go through the darkest valley... God is there. God is with us. I want you to open up with me to a scripture reading that you'll be very familiar with. And I want to look at a couple of verses there. It's Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. That's where I want to begin, and that's the main scripture for my message tonight. Psalm 23. I'm going to concentrate on verses 1 through 4, and particularly concentrate on verse 4. It says, and David is the one who wrote this psalm, he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters, he restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, that's our general experience with God, right? He's our shepherd. He's leading us. He's guiding us. He provides for us. He feeds us. We have quiet waters to be refreshed. But there's a twist that takes place here in verse 4. And David says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death... I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So there's a real shift there. The first three verses are basically our overall experience with God, the godly life, the the life that's lived through a relationship with Jesus Christ. But we see even with David, David had his dark valleys. David had his difficult circumstances. Do you know that actually in Israel, there is a real valley of the shadow of death? There's an actual place. It's a very deep and very narrow canyon. The sun only hits the bottom of that canyon at high noon. The rest of the time, it's almost pitch black. So the sun hits the bottom the valley, when the sun is at high noon. Now, David probably walked his sheep through this valley when he was growing up and taking care of them. So he's writing from experience. Now, if you look in the Bible, there are many other valleys that are mentioned. Joshua talks about the valley of calamity. Psalm 84 talks about the the valley of weeping. Hosea talks about the Valley of Troubles. So there are valleys. People in the Bible faced valleys. People in the Bible faced hard times. People right now are facing hard times. And we're among them. Amen? So what I want to talk about tonight is how do I handle these dark valleys of life? Well, there's five points that I wrote down, five things you need to remember. First of all, valleys are inevitable. What does that mean? They're going to happen. You've either just come out of a valley, or you're in one now, or sometime in the future you're going to go through a valley. They're inevitable. Would you agree with me that that's true? It's just the ebb and flow of life. That's just the way things go. I want you to read with me in John 16, verse 33. If you don't keep a marker or something in Psalm 23, because we'll come back to that. You can open with me to John sixteen, thirty-three, or you can just even listen to me read it to you. This is what Jesus said. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So what's he saying? Basically, in this life, you're going to have dark valleys. They're going to be times that you wish you never went through. But be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. What's he saying? Take the, take the um, emphasis off yourself and put it on me. And isn't that what we need to do with every problem? When we have a problem, usually we keep looking at ourselves. We're looking around ourselves. But we really need to look to him because he's the only one that can help us overcome it. Have any of you ever been in a place that you knew only God could deliver you or only God could set you free? Isn't that true? So Jesus said, I have told you these things so that you may have peace. It is possible to have peace in a dark valley. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. So, number one, their valleys are inevitable. There will be times of frustration, there will be times of failure, there will be times of fatigue, there will be times of suffering, sorrow, sickness. They're just a normal part of life, don't be surprised by them. I'm not wishing that on me or anyone else, I'm just telling you the reality of things. They're inevitable, they will happen. Secondly, valleys are unpredictable. You can't plan them. You can't schedule them. Did you ever have a flat tire at a real good time? (laughs) I don't think so. Did one of your children get sick at a really opportune time? They're unpredictable. You don't know when they're going to happen, right? You know, maybe you get a phone call. All of a sudden, your world changes. Something has happened to someone you love someone you know. Maybe it's a call from your doctor's office. Your life seems to change in an instant. So valleys are inevitable, and they're also unpredictable. Third point, valleys are impartial. No one is immune to valleys. No one gets to skate through life trouble-free. Good people, bad people? To experience a dark valley or a very frustrating situation doesn't mean that you're an evil human being. These things happen, things are not perfect here. Do you think you're the only one going through what you're experiencing? Do I think I'm the only one in the universe that should never have a tragedy or a loss? Can you see sometimes how we need to get our focus on the Lord and off ourselves? We become very self-centered. What you're going through, many other people have gone through throughout the world. And thank God, what others are going through, I have not had to go through. God allows particular circumstances and particular valleys for each one of us, as we'll see, for a particular purpose. So valleys are inevitable, they're unpredictable, they're impartial, they affect everyone. Number 4, valleys are temporary. It's they don't last. It's not a permanent location, right? David says even though I walk through the valley. He doesn't say even though I lay down in the valley. He's talking about walking through. He's talking about a process. A dark valley is like a tunnel that you go through. How many of you can relate to what I'm talking about? At the beginning, all you see is darkness, and you don't know where the, end of the, where the light at the end of the tunnel is? Well, the good news is, valleys are temporary. They don't last. It's not a permanent location. Even though I walk through the valley... So there's a sense that it will end. When you're in a valley, you think it's a dead end, but it's more like a tunnel. I want you to look with me at 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. If you can, keep uh, your finger in Psalm 23 when we go back to that. That'd be great. But I want to read from 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. I'll find it here in one second. Have all of you found it before me? That wouldn't be so good. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 3 to 9. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all types of trials." These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Isn't that kind of neat? Now, I wonder if when you were reading that, there were several words that particularly jumped out to you. There were a couple that really jumped out to me. It says here in verse um, 3, 4, pardon me. It talks about an inheritance, but it talks in verse 5. I need to get bigger fonts in my Bible. It says, who through faith are shielded by God's power. What do we need to do? We need to trust him. We need to have faith. What do trials and difficulties do? build our faith? Is that a good reason why God allows them? You know, why did God the Father allow Jesus to go through everything that he went through? He had something better in mind. What was the something better in mind? That you and I could sit here as believers knowing Jesus and knowing that we have an inheritance and a great hope. And so even when you're going through a dark valley as you put your faith in God, you will be shielded by God's power. So it says, through faith are shielded by God's power. So don't miss that point. Okay, and it talks about this as salvation that is ready to be re- revealed in the last time. We have received the first fruits. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord... The Holy Spirit came into your spirit, which was dead. It was dead from sin. And the Holy Spirit came in and made your spirit alive. And since your spirit is alive, you're able to communicate with God, who is what? Spirit. And so that's the beginning of salvation. But salvation is a process. Salvation begins in our spirits. What we go through here and what we experience in life and as we exercise faith, we find that our emotions, our wills, our memories are all changed, transformed, healed, delivered. And then ultimately, when Jesus comes back or at the rapture of the church, we're going to receive glorified bodies. And that will be the completion of salvation. So he's talking about the salvation to be revealed fully in the last time. So, Peter talks about, you may have had to suffer grief of all kinds and trials. In verse 7, these have come why? So that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. On Sunday, the last scripture I shared, was basically, you know, many a man claims to have faith, but a faithful man, who, who can find? Many times we say a lot of faith, we have a lot of faith. You'll know how much faith you have when you go through a dark valley. Isn't that true? A lot of people can talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk because they don't have the experience. And so this is why God allows these trials to perfect our faith And our trials even give praise and glory to our God and Father and Jesus Christ. In verse 9, which I didn't read, it says, you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now that makes sense when we understand what I said a few minutes ago. When you are saved, your spirit, which was dead because of sin, was revived and renewed and made alive by the Holy Spirit coming into your spirit. But you're still living with the old emotions, personality, memories. And that's your soul. That's your will. That has to be changed. That has to be transformed. Be transformed by the renewing of your soul or your mind. That has to be changed. So trials are basically to save our souls. Would you choose this way? No. I'd rather live on the mountaintops. But you can't have mountaintops unless you have valleys. So, basically, Peter, who should know what he's talking about, tells us that valleys are temporary, tells us about the purpose of valleys, and that leads us to our fifth point, Which is basically, valleys are purposeful. I think we see that from Peter's first letter. Peter says in verse 7, I just pointed this out, but I had written it down as a note even Valleys prove that your faith is genuine. Faith is strengthened in the valley. Will you still praise him? Will you still trust him? When you go through a hard time? See, we sometimes don't understand the overall plan of the Father. We don't understand that He's not so much concerned with our happiness as He is concerned with our holiness. Because you're going to live as who you are for all eternity. And happiness is very fleeting. But what does God the Father want to do? He wants to transform us into the character of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Maybe that helps us to understand a little bit more, you know, what it's all about. Didn't a lot of people say, if you're the Son of God, why would you die on the cross? Why are you going through that? God's ways aren't always our way. In fact, I find most times they're not. We tend to differ on a lot of things. But God uses dark valleys to change us, to perfect our character. In Hebrews 12, verse 3, it says, Consider him who suffered much opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The Bible tells us that God works all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Does that mean... Everything's going to be good. You no, know, it means you'll look back someday and say, I wouldn't want to go through this again, but thank God that I did because it's changed me as a person. It's changed my life. I've wound up to be a much better person. A lot of you are nodding. I bet you can relate to that. Isn't that true? There's many things I'd never want to go through again, but that was God's plan. I went through them. It made me who I am. And so now I reap the benefits from that. Most of us who want to minister to other people want to minister from our minds or from our knowledge. But the only way you can effectively minister uh, minister spiritually to people is through your spirit, what God has changed in you. You'll find that people that have gone through the dark valley of a particular problem are able to effectively minister to others like no one else can. The world doesn't need information. The world needs Jesus. The world needs the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't need any more information. We don't need self-help. We need people who are really people of faith and are willing to go through the dark valleys with real faith. So valleys are purposeful, the last thing that we discussed. Now what do you do when you go through a dark valley. Maybe you feel we've discussed that already, but I have three things I wrote down. First thing, when you're going through a dark valley, refuse to get discouraged. You may say, that's great, you don't know what I'm going through. Discouragement is a decision. And we're responsible for our own decisions, and we live with our own decisions. We need to know God's word and refuse to Be discouraged. Make the decision. I am going to trust him. I am going to praise him. I am going to bless him. And the more you've known the Lord and the more you've experienced his faithfulness, you remind yourself, I went through a real dark valley a while back and boy, God was faithful. He brought me through. So you remind yourself, I'm not going to get discouraged. God is faithful. It's all going to work out. It may be a hard time for a while, but I'm going to make it. So it's a decision. Refuse to get discouraged. Choose deliberate action. Secondly, kind of self-explanatory, remember that God is with you. You don't go through the dark valley alone. God is with you. Kind of interesting, many times we probably think God sits in heaven saying, boy, I sure hope they make it. And that isn't the truth. God goes through every single thing we go through. We don't go through alone. He's not a detached onlooker. He wants to be involved in our lives, and we have to consciously invite him in and talk to him and say, Lord, I really need to experience your presence right now. I really need your help. I need your guidance. I need your consolation. I need your encouragement. Do you remember the story of David when Raiders took off his wife and all his children and all his goods and all that? The men wanted to kill him. And the Bible says, I don't have the exact reference right now, while the men were complaining and yelling and getting mad at David, it says David went and encouraged himself in the Lord. And so what do we need to do? Sometimes we need to get away from people and go get encouraged in the Lord. Take time alone. Turn it over to him. Be in his presence. Turn on your worship tape. Praise him. Worship him. Right? And you know what happened? David then received such anointing and such strength and such encouragement that he went and not one person or one thing that was stolen was lost. He got it all back. And he got even more. And so God's trying to perfect our faith. He's trying to train us. We all want an easy life with no problems, but I'm telling you, it just doesn't work that way. Remember God's with you. thirdly, rely on God's protection and guidance. When you're in the valley, it says to us in Psalm 23, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know what a rod is? Rod's about two foot long with a heavy knot at the end of it. The shepherd would take that rod and hurl it at a mountain lion or whatever was trying to kill a sheep. So David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I'm comforted by the fact, God, that you are protecting me, that you are defending me that nothing can happen to me unless you allow for your greater purpose. Even though this is a terrible trial, and I don't want to go through it, I know, Lord, that you're defending me. Right? And so that's the rod, two foot long, heavy knot at the end, which used a shepherd would hurl it like a missile and kill whatever was trying to attack the sheep. The staff was a long stick with a crook at the end of it, And it was used to draw the sheep close to the shepherd so that he could pick them up and comfort them. And so David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I want to share with you, before I do that, I want to go back to Psalm 23, this one point that I didn't make that I just happened to remember. And it's kind of important Let me get this here. Okay, Psalm 23 again. See, I, I didn't do what I told you to do. I told you to keep a marker there, and I didn't. I want you to look at the, the overall psalm. In the first three verses, David is talking in the third person, Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want he. Talking third person, talking about the Lord. And what does he shift through in verse 4? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. So there's a real shift that goes on here. In the beginning of the psalm and at the end of the psalm, he's talking about the Lord in the third person. But in verse 4, talking about the dark valleys and needing the support and comfort of the Lord, he switches to second person. I want to share with you a testimony. I have several testimonies of dark valleys that I have gone through, but I think this is the one I'd like to share with you. It's a very difficult time. Probably some of you can relate to a time when your child was sick, very ill. Have any of you had times like that? Or maybe your child was close to death? I remember my um, eldest son, I have two sons and I have a daughter. My older son, when he was about in the sixth grade, Was complaining about pain in his side. Now, he had complained about that occasionally. We thought maybe it was lactose intolerance or, you know, a variety of different things because he didn't have a fever or anything like that. And we always used to pray with our kids and ask the Lord's healing if they're going through something. But I had prayed and he still had it, he was still complaining. And he didn't get better. In fact, he was getting worse. So he had a fever, a lot of pain. We took him up to the emergency room of the small hospital in the town that we lived. And they examined him, and they said, Oh, he has appendicitis. We're going to have to operate. Fine, that sounds like an easy thing, I guess. If you're going to have anything, that sounds pretty easy, right? Well, they said it'll be about an hour and... He'll be back down or whatever. We waited hour after hour after hour. It was probably four or five hours. And then the doctor came down and he said, well, it was the appendix, but the appendix was rotted onto the bowel. And there was a big problem. We had to make a big incision. It's like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So anyway, this turned into a nightmare. And so my son went to recovery and all that, but he had an infection that they could not get rid of. Looking back, I can actually believe that they probably perforated the bowel and the infection went through his body. Well anyway, young kids, 6th grade, how old do they be about then, 12 maybe, 11 or 12? And so, he's in the hospital. He wound up being in the hospital for ten days, and they couldn't do anything for him. They just said he has infection through his body. And he was just losing weight, losing weight. The doctor wouldn't give him anything to eat, wouldn't give him anything to drink. So for ten days, he was allowed an occasional ice cube in his mouth to melt. And that's all he could have. And from all their x-rays and stuff, uh, they said that there was infection there. They couldn't get to it. Because to get to it, they would have had to go through the spine, and they couldn't go through the spine. The needle and all this, well, you can imagine how you'd feel if you went through that situation. But the amazing thing is God uses this to really strengthen faith and trust And confidence. I made a decision that God wanted him well. And that every time I went in his room, I would pray for him. And every day I came to the hospital, I would anoint him with oil and pray for him. And actually, the whole church was praying too. There was still no change. And they tried intravenous antibiotics. They tried everything nothing seemed to be helping. And it was interesting when I walked into his room one time on the TV, there was one of those crazy churches and they were singing, <laughs> I used to go to a crazy church, they were singing, whose report shall we receive, we will receive the report of the Lord, and it's like, that reached out and just really touched me, it's like, wow, the timing of that and why is that station even on? And they were saying about, you know, believe God's report. Not every report you hear is going to happen or is true. And that builds more faith. And so I kept praying and believing that God was going to heal him. Although it was hard to see how he would. And so about the 10th day, they said, we're going to take him for a sonogram and see if there's anything we can possibly do. See again the location of the infection or whatever and i was praying i was talking to the radiologist and the radiologist said yeah that the infection's all pulled here it's pulled here it's pulled there we can't get at it it's not too much we can do and i didn't remember at the time but he reminded me later that i said to him well i'm just going to pray that that infection just moves you know just moves out of his body and i did not even remember telling him that But anyway, they took him for the sonogram, and they were going to try something. God knows what they were going to try to do. But anyway, they said they watched, and the infection just went and disappeared. And they had it on film. (laughs) And the radiologist was a Hindu. He called me in. He said, I want to show you some x-rays. I didn't know what had happened at that point. He said, this is the old one. You see all the pools of infection and all that? I said, yes. He said, look at this one. There's nothing there. I said, well, how would that happen? He said, well, you told me you were going to pray that that's what happened. (laughs) He said, that's what happened. We watched it just go. Isn't that amazing? And so we had to really trust the Lord, put our faith in Him, but we had to pray. We had to get the focus off ourselves. And we had to trust Him and believe that nothing's impossible for God. Now, certainly, it seems we can't pray away every problem, every sickness, every disease. But if you have a young kid like that, I really don't think that's God's will. Right? And so it's right to pray. I always pray for healing until God tells me not to. And He will tell you you lose your interest in praying for something. But I always believe we should pray for healing. Amen? And so why am I sharing this testimony? I want to share that was a dark valley. But that built my faith so much. You know what it taught me? Many times when we pray, we're not really serious. I used to think sometimes, how come God only answers me when I'm desperate? And it's because usually I'm praying with my mind. And I'm really not praying with my inner being and really interceding before Him. And when you have a situation that you can't solve, God will teach you about real prayer. And I think the body of Christ, particularly in our country, will see more miracles. As people really cry out to God in desperation... You can just look at the signs of the time. There will be a time coming. Churches will have people that are real prayer warriors and real worshipers because we may be in a situation we can't do anything about. Now, an interesting add-on to that story about my son talk about people trying to rob your thunder. Well, the Hindu doctor said... It's a miracle. That's what you said. You pray for it, and that's what you got. It's a miracle. We have it right on x-rays. Well, the regular doctor came in, and he said, Oh, I notice on your family history that your mother had Crohn's disease. I said, Yes, she did. And he said, Well, that's what your son has. I said, I don't receive that in Jesus' name. And you know what? My mother was healed of Crohn's disease. That's another miracle story I'll tell you. She was healed of Crohn's disease. So I'm going to pray that the healing is passed on to him, if that's true. They sent tests and all that to Walter Reed. Other hospitals that came back, no findings. We took him to Riley Hospital in Indianapolis. They said he does not have Crohn's disease. But see, you can hear a lot of reports that things can make you very upset and they may not be exactly true. There's something about me and music, Stan. They may not be exactly true. We have to get the emphasis off ourselves and trust God. I'm talking about real faith. Really believing. My son is grown now. He has three children of his own. The only remnant of what he has is big gash. <laughs> and I suggested maybe we should have that fixed. Um, I believe that was particularly an attack of the evil one, but God allowed us to go through that. Being the pastor of a church, actually, a week before that happened, I had a dream where I could see the front of our church, and all of a sudden, like a black cloud came over it. And I said, What is that? Well, we had a lot of occult activity in our town when I first went there. I got letters from some of the groups or people. Some of them were signed in blood. They said, We're going to get rid of you. You know, oh, we see you have a lot of faith. That's what they said. We see you have a lot of faith. We see you could really be a mighty man of God in this area. But I'll tell you what, we're going to bring you down, we're going to bring the church down. And it's interesting that when my son was first going through this problem, I thought to myself, and I may have expressed it to people, we can't stay in this little town, because if he needs good doctors, we can't stay here, we're moving. And that's exactly what the evil one wanted us to do. He wanted us to leave. And so, that's a case where I believe that there was an illness caused by demonic forces. You may not agree with me, but I firmly believe that that's true. And I think there's times we accept things too easily. Maybe it isn't a dark valley God wants us to go through, but maybe it's a situation He wants us to go through to experience faith or learn how to pray more effectively. Amen? So I want to encourage you. I guess I've talked about several different things. The main thing was dark valleys, but I don't want you to miss the fact either, the importance of worship and praise. I'd like to see the church really begin speaking out their praise. I love you, Lord. I praise you. I bless you. I give you all the glory. Who cares if they call us a crazy church? We know we're not a crazy church. We have a great Bible teacher. We have great ministries. We're solidly on the the rock of God's word. But I think we would see more miracles if we weren't so sheltered and afraid and so into ourselves. Remember, God inhabits the praise of his people. He'll make his presence very real. Secondly, I want to encourage you, if you're going through a dark valley, they will come. Some will take a while to go through. The one I talked about only took several weeks. Some of you may have been in a dark valley for a long time. But look to God. He'll take you through. It's a tunnel. It's not a dead end. Keep going. Get your focus off yourself. Get your focus on Him. And He will bring you through. And you will wind up a better person and more usable to God. Do you believe that? Let's pray for a moment. And also, keep. please keep in prayer the couple, Chris and Rebecca, and their four children. They're in jail in uh, Jordan right now. Father, we praise You. We bless You. We thank You for this time of being together. I pray, Lord, that somehow I may have shared something of importance that people could receive in their spirits Father, I pray for anyone going through a dark valley right now. I pray, Lord, that you would help them through it even quickly, more quickly than they expect or experience. I pray, Lord, supernatural help for them. I ask you, Father, even to send your ministering angels to be with them and surround them. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for all the people here. Lord was so blessed to be able to be part of this church and we give you all the glory and all the praise amen